Thank you for downloading this message from Pastor Ryan today. We believe you will be encouraged and challenged by this message. To Matthew's Gospel. I'll not be terribly long. All I can say is, O ye of little faith. Matthew. And let's look at the third chapter. Because I want to look at John the Baptist for just a moment. Now we understand John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. He had a unique ministry, needless to say. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, or paths straight. The Scripture continues to say, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now you've got to understand something as it relates to my thought this morning. I'm convinced that the church must be seen in order to be influential. And when I use the term church, I'm not using the term as it relates to an organization or as it relates to a denomination. However, I am talking about you individually. Because the church is not made up of buildings and architecture, stained glass or chandeliers. However, it is made up of people like you and I. And, and when the church at its grassroots is people like you and I, the ordinary the unique, the chosen, the called out ones, the ones who have been brought out of darkness into the marvelous light that we might demonstrate light, then I understand that I have a calling and a purpose regardless of where I came from. My question to you is, have you allowed someone or something to convince you you have no value? Do you feel as if your gifts and talents are of no value and that the kingdom of God could operate with you or without you? Have you accepted the lie? You say, what lie are you talking about? The lie that says your past has damaged you to the point where God cannot get great service out of you. Or maybe you're one of the many who have felt overlooked, not appreciated, not valued, and so you have chosen, elected, and decided to attend church without being the church. 
You say, where did these thoughts come from? Why would you challenge us on those questions? Because I still believe the church is in hiding. That we're not confident and passionate enough to be real vulnerable, transparent people in a world that does not understand our Christ, that does not understand our gospel, and certainly does not appreciate righteousness or holiness as a standard of lifestyle because we have been taught by the culture that we live in of moral relativism that says we can accept a lot of different things, but there are no absolutes. We live in a society that changes consistently, and it changes its values consistently. It shifts daily. We live in a culture that somehow has made celebrities the role models for a generation. We live in a society that our media promotes and makes heroes out of those who have little or no character at all. But because of their success, their talents or their abilities on the external, we rally to them as if for some reason they are the heroes of a generation. And all the while the church... The empowered and enabled ones by the Holy Spirit set in isolation. And Paul said these words, and this is what really got me, my spirit stirred, was Paul said in Romans chapter 8 that there is a culture, a society, a generation waiting for the revealing of the expectation of the sons of God. And then that began to make me think because the, the prophet Haggai said this, he said the glory of the former house or the latter house will be greater than the former house. Somewhere we've got to believe and be energized that the church is coming out of hiding. That we're not just going to attend church to relieve our consciousness of sin versus righteousness, but we want to be empowered. That we want the Holy Spirit to touch us on a given Sunday that we might be ambassadors of light. See, here's my deal. Somebody said, well, you, you know, you preach so hard. You say, well, why, why are you so passionate? Because greater men than me gave their life to preach this gospel without compromise. And they weren't interested in being a, a Hollywood show. They weren't interested in being a celebrity. They, see, we have so much Christian celebrityism. We're trying to build an image. We're trying to market a brand. We're, we're trying to, to move ourselves into the mainstream. Somewhere we've got to get back to the gospel ship. Somewhere we've got to come back to the basics of the gospel. See, we've got a culture that anoints pride and arrogance and calls it holiness. Where are the John the Baptist? Where are the men that are so fueled with passion that they're not willing to compromise for nobody or no thing? We live in a nation that forgot how to blush. How many parents in this room have to deal with what your children are seeing and hearing? I mean, like never before. I mean, you almost now have to screen the commercials. Because they cuss worse than a sailor on the commercial breaks. Does anybody in this room feel that pain? Because we're dealing with a culture that does not blush. And we deal with an invisible church. 
They're out preaching us. They're out preaching us. They're louder than the voice of the church. When I'm saying church, remember I'm not talking about the, the institution. I'm talking about us individually. See, see, we can vote. I'm not talking about going to the polls. We can vote with the remote. See, here's the thing, and, and I don't think we understand this in the church, and so let me break this for you so you can understand it and unpack it. See, our culture celebrates talent. Talent doesn't move God. Because talent is inborn. Yeah, He gave it to you. However, character is a choice. You see what I'm saying? So God doesn't get excited by your talent. God doesn't get excited by the things that you can do on an external. However, when you live by characteristics and character and integrity, then He's moved. Why? Because you made a choice. I understand talents can be developed and enhanced, and I appreciate people that have God-given talents, and they enhance them and they use them as a testimony of His glory. However, God says character trumps talent every day. Because see, here's the thing about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not a talented cat. He was anointed. He was anointed when he was in Mama Elizabeth's womb. Because Mary came to bring salutation and greeting. And when she said so, the Bible said John the Baptist in the womb leaped, danced with joy. And the Bible says that based on Mary's salutation, the Holy Ghost came upon Elizabeth and John the Baptist. We need something to move God, but we can't move God till we're willing to stand in character, regardless of talent. Because I've come to the understanding a long time ago, I do not have to be the most talented man with a Bible and a microphone. In fact, I understand and have already come to grips with the reality that I am not the most talented communicator there ever is on the earth. But I will say this, I'm still here. Have you fallen? Absolutely. Have you bruised your knees more times than not? Have I been counted off? Yes, more times than any. But I'm still standing and I refuse to put my Bible down just because someone says the talent is not there. You say, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that yes, by the standards of the world, we've all been disqualified. But I refuse to allow someone or something to convince me I'm no longer useful to a God who can do the impossible. You still got value. Your past has no dominion over your future as long as it's redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and that ought to make you happy. Because all of us got a story. Look at your neighbor and say, you got a story. Okay, uh, uh-huh. some of you know their story. <laughs> you look at them and go, oh, Lord, do they have a story. Uh-oh, if we started unpacking our stories. Woo! So, boy, some of us been in the wilderness. Hmm? Some of us been knocked down. Some of us been through some real tough, tough seasons of affliction, haven't we? Come on, be honest with me. We, come on, some of us have had some real obstacles in our life. Huh? Some real missteps mis, mis, uh, and misgivings about what we were to do, and we made the wrong choice, and we were ill advised, and we just messed up. 
You're sitting in this house today and you're testifying by being here. I got up. I got up and I want to be counted. I want to be counted as one of the ones that will not go invisible. I want to be one of those that step out and see the truth is everything you went through became a gateway. It's the gateway to your success. It's the gateway to your promotion. It's the story of your life. And your story should not be diminished just because it was wrong. If anything, I use my wrongs as a sermon. You hear me all the time. I preach my weaknesses. You're like, dear God, that boy's got a lot. Most of you can relate to him. Because you've got the same struggles. The same obstructions, the same stuff, and you're like going through this, and I'm preaching, and you're like, man, boy, that boy got it worse than I got it. I do. Let me get to John the Baptist, can I? I told you I wouldn't hold you terribly long. I had to unpack some things. May the 24th, 2004, this is what I wrote in the margin of my oldest Bible, one of my older Bibles. I must determine to move quickly. If I refuse to respond in total obedience, God will find another. His mandate for your life, which was mine, radical, rapid, relevant. Radical, rapid, relevant. So I had found this in the margin of my Bible. And then I began to look at John the Baptist, and and today I'm beginning to tie together something the Lord spoke to me ten years ago as it related to John the Baptist. Because to me, John the Baptist is the picture of radical. He's the picture of rapid, because he did not wait for permission to move. And he's the picture of relevant, because he declares this is what it is and how it shall be. So let's look at John the Baptist for a couple moments. You all right? Because when you look at John the Baptist, he was a man that was counted as a forerunner for the the, the, the nature and the coming of Christ. Do you believe that there is still some forerunners on the earth? Because, see, I, I need to remind you, Jesus said, I am coming again. He will return. So I've got to believe and be uh, encouraged by the fact that there are going to be some forerunners, some men and women of the body of Christ that step out and stand out, who are assured of the fact that He is coming, and we're going to make sure others are ready. See, we spend a lot of time in the church rebuking darkness instead of being light. Did you hear what I said? We rebuke it. We renounce darkness. We curse darkness. We resist darkness. I understand that. But we're doing it without being the light. I have no problem rebuking and renouncing darkness. That's part of my position and authority of dominion. I understand that. However, if I spend all my time rebuking darkness, then am I really being the light? A light that is not hid. A light on the hillside. Is anybody in the building? I'm going to tell you something right now. You don't have anything that you've done so wrong that God can't use to to, to be a testimony to the world that we live in. Listen, when he went looking for Moses, he found Moses on the backside of the wilderness. He said, Moses, where are you and what are you doing? He said, I'm hiding from the law. Why? Because he had killed an Egyptian. 
He was running from justice. And God said, that's all right. I'm going to use you. And he came back with his second excuse and said, look, you can't use me because I'm a man of slow speech. And God said, that's all right. Why? Because God needed somebody. And he found Moses, regardless of his sinful past, regardless of his murderous heart, regardless of his stammering tongue, and God used him. What's our problem? Why do we sit in isolation when God can use a Moses? Can he not use you? What about Esther? She was an orphan. Came up in a rough upbringing. Came up in a rough uh, dynamic of her family life. She was an orphan. Who would have ever thought that she was beautiful enough to win a beauty pageant to change the heart of a king? Character is what God looks for. He looked for character in Moses' life. He looked character, looked for character in, in, in the life of Esther. What about Amos? The prophet Amos. Oh, he was a prophet of God. Yeah, but he started out as a farmer. Got to love farmers. Taking care of the land. His character was forged in his willingness to plant and harvest. And God said, I see character in you. And Amos came, came from the, the fields and the farmland and became a prophet of God. What's, what's my excuse? You say, well, I'm not talented. I'm not, I'm not the most gifted. God's looking for you. And He'll use you right where you are. You say, well, I've got so many problems. He used Rahab, didn't he? You don't know Rahab's biography? She was the prostitute. She was a tax-paying prostitute, but she was a prostitute. You get into Matthew and you start reading the lineage of Jesus Christ. Guess who's in Jesus' lineage in history? Rahab the prophet. Why? Because God says, I will not allow someone's past to trump their future when they have a heart of character. Woo! How many grew up not all that educated? Don't raise your hand. That's embarrassing. But your family never put a big demand on education. You were taught to work hard. You know what I'm talking about? Because there was a, a time period in our nation where it wasn't about education. It wasn't about higher education. It wasn't about the degrees. It was about getting out of school as soon as you were old enough and get to work. How I many know what I'm talking about? I got good news for you. That doesn't disqualify you. Because there was a man named Elijah. He was kind of the mountain man. All right, I'll say it like I need to. He was the redneck before rednecks were. He was kind of brash. He was the hillbilly before it was cliched hillbilly. He kind of had a rough exterior. To me, he strikes me as one of the people that you would say he was least likely to succeed. Because he may not have been the most educated. However, God used him. Why? Because God looked at the character and the fiber of who he was and the choices he made. If God can use an Elijah and an Amos and an Esther and a Moses, he can use me. If he can use John the Baptist because of his commitment and his passion, he can use us and we won't be an invisible church. We've just got to agree to be used. 
We've got to agree. You say, well, I, I've got a poor background. You, you, you're not any more messed up than Timothy was. Because Timothy was a half-breed. His father was Greek. His mother was a Jew. He was racially divided. we got a culture right now full of mixes. And we have a tendency because of the profiling of our nation. Oh, y'all shot me down. That's fine. Because of the profiling of our nation saying they're not good enough. They're not qualified. Who gave us dominion to determine someone's future based on the the color of their skin or the blending of their nationalities? It may make you uncomfortable, but God said, if I can find some character in them, I'll use them. And the next great awakening may be Hispanic. I'm going to preach this whether you all like to hear it or not. Someone say, well, I don't understand. we got all this invasion of, of, of Hispanics. It's not an invasion. It's a mission field. You, oh, I'm going to get hateful. Here I go. I can feel it coming. We're prejudiced because we don't understand God. Because God ain't a white man's God. He ain't the black man's God. He ain't just a Hispanic man's God. He's the God of all creed, all color, and all nationality. And we better open up some character so we can be a light in the land. So, Pastor, you can't preach that kind of stuff. We're still in the South. Repent. Say, so you're sassy. You're absolutely right I am because I am tired of being persuaded by a culture. I understand we have issues as it relates to our standards and our borders. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not being political. I'm being spiritual. Not worried about my border. I'm worried about my heart as it relates to those whom I see and face in life. We won't admit we're prejudiced, but we are. Yeah, shut me down. We are. We profile. There are people in our culture that make us uncomfortable. Because we look on the externals. Are we any different than those when, when God said, I'm going to anoint a new king? And Samuel the prophet shows up and he looks on the externals and God goes, no, 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 no. And God has to tell Samuel, I'm not looking at the outside. I'm looking at the heart. I'm looking at the character of a man. That's how he found David. Can I tell you the next Billy Graham may not be a white man? The next great influencer of revival and restoration may not speak English. I know because we live in a culture that apparently everything has to be the new king's English. Some of the greatest revivals and movements of God are not based on anything that we can even relately connect to. Because they're not building tabernacles of pride. They're not building ministries with a platform of arrogance. They're preaching the Bible. They're decreeing and declaring, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And they're doing it under a 
banana tree in the middle of nowhere. And God said, I'll honor it if my heart of my people will be a light and not invisible. I'm telling you right now, God doesn't need me, but He'll allow me to be a part of it if I'll be a part of the character. Ah! John the Baptist. I know I was supposed to go there and I got hijacked. I'm here to turn the lights on. How will this next generation know anything about righteousness if we don't turn the lights on? This sissified church that we've got in America better stand up and turn the lights on. Come on, we better turn the lights on. I'm not talking about being ugly. I'm not talking about being uh, 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 disrespectful. But I am saying we better turn some lights on. We better have enough character to turn the lights on. Huh? Somewhere we better be deliberate in what we do. The most deliberate most of us are. Come in and understand, I'm loving you. Like He's all up in our bed. I'm loving you. We've lost our deliberation with God and to our nation. John the Baptist was so deliberate in what he was doing that he did not care. All he could think of, please God, because Jesus is coming. Well, wouldn't that be a revolutionary thought? That if every Sunday morning our whole goal was to please God and make way for the coming of Jesus Christ. So I guess the song selections really doesn't matter to you if we honor God. Wouldn't that change the way we preach the gospel? If we were preaching to prepare him and him and him and her for the coming of the Lord. Maybe we would change our philosophy of preaching if we were preparing people for the coming of the Lord. I wonder how we would preach next Sunday if we knew the Lord was coming at 3 in the afternoon. Come on, I'm being serious. How would we preach? What kind of church service would we have if He was coming at 3 tomorrow afternoon? I don't imagine we'd be so entertaining, would we? Because there ain't, there ain't too many folk won't stand before God with blood on their hands going, I... I I, I I didn't know. We need some we need some te- oh. we need testosterone in the church. We we got to have some men stand up and be the men of God. We got to have some women be the women of God. But we need some people to be the light. John the Baptist paved the way, and when I read this, it just challenged me because if I don't become more determined and more deliberate in my life. I'm going to allow my seasons to pass by. All right. I have so much I want to share and unpack for you, but I can't. John the Baptist, you, you, we read it. But as I was reading it, 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 it just began to unpack some things for me. Because I want to be radical. I want to be more radical than I've ever been in my life. I want to move more rapidly than I've ever moved in my life. Ah, I want to be more relevant than I've ever been in my life. John the Baptist was radical. What made him radical? He was so deliberate in his message it made him radical. Because he didn't preach false gospel. He preached a simple message, didn't he? What did he preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
which he's preaching a radical message of rapid response. Repent for the kingdom. So it's radical and responsive, but, but it's so rapid in its demand of response. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I thought, man, how deliberate is that? Repent. When's the last time we preached a real solid message on repentance? When's the last time we really talked about the transgressions, the sins, and the faults, and the failures of our life? Okay, apparently I do it often because y'all are like shell-shocked. I talk about a lot of issues in our life, giving us opportunities to make decisions, right? How many has been challenged to change some things in your life since you've been sitting under this ministry? Anybody? Just curious. Because if we preach the gospel, the gospel demands some U-turns, doesn't it? We need to be radical enough to be the light and the ambassadors of life that that we live so deliberately that it demands some others to make U-turns. Your life should make someone who's not living under covenant. They ought to feel a little uncomfortable around you. If they're comfortable with you, I have to question the standard of light. Because our light should dispel darkness and make those that are around us feel confident enough to turn. See, we're on the earth to make a difference, aren't we? Not to go to church and sing songs and hear sermons. Right? We're here to be the ambassadors of the kingdom of God. That's our job, our, our goal, our motive, right? So whatever platform we're in, we should develop enough character to be the light regardless of our surroundings. We shouldn't allow our past to dictate it. We shouldn't allow our future situations or or present situations to dictate how light we are. Why am I so afraid to be a Christian? Why am I so afraid to bow my head at the table at the restaurant and pray a prayer? Over my meal. Why have I allowed the lies of my enemy to silence me in my deliberate responses to the things of God? Anybody deal with that or is it just me? Let me give you four things and then you you can go to the house with them, okay? Thank you. I live here. Here's some things I'm dealing with. Man, this is going to be painful. Maybe painful for me. It may not be painful for you. The Bible says John the, the Baptist clothed himself in camel's hair, a leather's belt, a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Right? That's what it says in verse five. Why does the Scripture break it down for us what he wore? Why is, that, why is that important? Why is it important for us to know what his wardrobe was and what his diet was? I don't believe Scripture is just random, do you? Come on, let's talk. Why was it so 
important that the inspiration of Scripture recorded his wardrobe and his diet. Does it not reveal his character? Does it not reveal his priorities? Does it not reveal the heart of the man? That he was not consumed with pleasing people or making sure that he had the best as long as he was doing what God had commanded him to do. Come on, are you working with me in this room? I understand that this is a different kind of wardrobe, but I've read this so many times, talking about his, his garments and, 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 and his, his, his dietary needs there. And I've thought about it. How many times have I been motivated by the cultural expectations? People ask us all the time, what kind of wardrobe do I have to have to come to church? Well, preferably put some clothes on. And I understand wearing our Sunday best. I understand that culture. But how many understand we're not a suit and tie nation anymore? Very few, even in corporate America, wear suits and ties. So we have a shift. So the church realized that it had to shift. And that's not about shirts and ties. It's not about suits and ties. It's not about shorts and t-shirts. I have been guilty of trying to be a born-again Christian who looked more like the culture that I lived in than the kingdom of God, and my pursuit was to look right while my heart had fibers of the culture of pride in it that diminished the light of the gospel because I was trying to look right instead of be right. Should we pray now and go home? Because I used to wear suits that were, that were more costly than my tithe check. Okay, y'all not going to talk to me. Because I was looking for the, the, the applause as, appro- as, a, as an approval of them to me. As opposed to my heart. Being right. When the Scripture says that John the Baptist had this wardrobe and this dietary thing, I think what the Scripture is saying to me is, I'm not looking for what you think impresses me. And John the Baptist had such a decisive life that people came to him regardless of his location. Regardless of his wardrobe. Regardless of his dietary needs, they came to him because of the message. Most people in America attend church. Not based on the message, but based on the externals. Tell me what has happened to us in America where we are putting on an image and a likeness of God all the while denying the glory of His power. How can we be forerunners of the second coming of Christ if all we're building is architecture? 
It's nothing more than tinkling cymbals and sounding brass. It's nothing more than, than our attempt to make ourselves look more godly. And I don't think God's impressed. I don't think God's impressed with a $10 million building. I don't think that moves Him at all. I think what moves Him is when a group of people get together and has a heart of character. This said, I'm not going to talk about darkness. I'm not going to talk about the problems. I'm going to talk about the greatness of my God. And I'm going to stand as an ambassador of light to those who are in darkness. And I'm going to stand so deliberately that people are going to know that I'm a Christian. They're going to know that I'm born again. They're going to know that my standards, my values, my virtues of life are far different and contrary to the world that I live in, that I don't even have to preach loudly. My life is a powerful demonstration of the resurrection of Christ. That's how we should live. Somebody said, well, well I, I know a lot about the Bible. You know a lot about the Bible and not know Jesus. You can know a lot about the Word of God and still not have a relationship with Christ. You can attend church every service and still not be passionate for Him. I want to be radical. I want to be rapid. And I want to be relevant. John the Baptist was all three of those. Now, I know this is ten years ago when I found these words. And I was like, man, maybe it's just my day. I'll buy the CD. <laughs> Preach to myself. Thank you, Lord. Because I lost the pursuit of radical. I lost the expectation to move rapidly to obey God. And I have somewhat lost the relativity that I need to regain. John the Baptist was radical. His garments was radical. His diet was radical. His message was radical. His message demanded a rapid response. And he was so relative to culture, Jesus showed up. Oh, I want to be so radical, <laughs> so rapid, and so relevant that Jesus wants to come where I am. When's the last time that Jesus was the chief cornerstone of the house? When was the last time that He was the honored guest? When was the last time every program, every sermon, and every song was all about His deity, His glory, and His soon coming? When was the last time that He was the everything, the totality of our Sunday? He was the master of masters, omega of omegas, and He had the whole platform. When's the last time church was about Jesus? Pastor, that sounds odd. You're right. Because most of what goes on in a lot of circles is all about flesh and carnality and the pleasing of our flesh. We don't want to preach repentance because no one wants to repent. We want moral relativism. We want to accept certain things and you can't preach to me certain things because I won't accept them. I have my own will. I understand that. However, but when your will is contrary to the book, somebody's got to say. All right, stand with me in this room. I'm not done. I'm just going to shut her down. We hope you enjoyed the message today. Please visit www.fivestoneschurch.info for more messages and media resources.